having a sewing day. So there's a lot that's there. The QR code that's up here on the screen, you can just scan that and get all the latest information on the e-bulletin or on our website, calvarychapelgreeley.org. And so lots going on. Don't want you to miss anything. Be sure to review everything that I just went over. We do want to get into our Bible study in Joel chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. Joel is a short book, uh, but a very powerful book. And Father, we ask that as we prepare our hearts for this study, that um, thank you for the worship that we've been able to have. And wherever we're at, at home or maybe um, just in our rooms or uh, traveling somewhere and listening in to this study, uh, there is so much that is here in this powerful little uh, Old Testament prophetic book. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts right now. And Lord, uh, it speaks to us in so many different ways. And Lord, it causes us, our hearts to be stirred uh, in the things that we have been looking at here at Calvary Chapel going through the scriptures. Uh, that Lord, everything is, is culminating to a time where you will establish your kingdom. And we get to be a part of that. So uh, help us be attentive to the things that we're talking about in Jesus' name, amen. So Joel here, it's hard to date as I, we opened up last week. It's a short book, only three chapters long. Uh, it's part of the minor prophets that began with Hosea, goes through Malachi. And uh, even though the books of the minor prophets, they're called minor prophets, not because they were minor in the sense of their message or their importance. They had powerful ministries. And the reason they're called the minor prophets is because their books are generally shorter. So the major prophets, Isaiah 66 chapters, Jeremiah 52 chapters, Ezekiel you know, 48 chapters, uh, we know that those are larger books. But here in Joel, it's only three chapters long, but it is packed with a powerful message. The theme of Joel is the day of the Lord. And as I mentioned last week, it's, it's hard to pin when exactly Joel was on the scene writing these prophecies down and giving these prophecies. It is believed about 835 B.C., which would be one of the earliest books of uh, the books of the prophets in the Old Testament. Obadiah would be only one that would be older, but there's no king that's mentioned here. There's no mention of the Assyrians. There's no mention of Babylon. So it probably would come on the scene, Joel, shortly after the nation split to the house of Israel and then the house of Judah. And he is speaking to the house of Judah here as he's speaking uh, about the day of the Lord. That's the whole theme of this book, the day of the Lord, as we already saw in chapter 1, that he starts out by saying and mentioning the day of the Lord. Uh, and he uses that term five times here, as in chapter 1, as he would say that there's this locust infestation writing about that. There's the chewing locust. There's the swarming locust. There's the uh, crawling locust. They have come and consumed and really devastated the land. So during this time, there's a locust infestation that eaten everything. The fig tree, the olive trees, the vineyards, there's, there's no wine, there's... The crops, you know, are not growing. Uh, the storehouses of food are in shambles. The barns are broken down. The grain has withered. Uh, the herd of cattle are restless because there's nothing for them to eat. So it is this mourning for the land because of the locusts. And, of course, locust infestation 
have always been a part of, you know, our history throughout. We see it in the Old Testament. We've seen it in modern times uh, that even just a couple years ago, there was real bad locust infestation that was happening in Africa, like uh, devastating parts of, of East Africa, uh, eating all the vegetation. There's thousands of species of locusts. The largest locust is like 10 uh, inches long with the wingspan that is just huge. And they can come in swarms when they're, you know, uh, uh, infestation of locusts to where they darken the sky. It's like a big cloud, and they come in and they devastate everything as they eat all the green herbs and plants and grasses and trees and everything else, and then they just move like an army. And the reason that Joel is, is saying that, hey, there's a locust infestation, because then he's going to talk about, look into the future where there's going to be an army that's likened to the, you know, the swarm of locusts to where they come in and they devour the land, they devour everything, but it's a literal army. So here is Joel, as he says, we've never seen anything like this, this locust infestation. They weren't right with God. And as we see that Joel looking down through history to the end of the age, to where the day of the Lord comes, there's going to be a call to fast. There's going to be a call to repentance, and we're going to see that. So in chapter 1, there was this mourning of the land. Uh, the beasts are crying out. The water brooks are dried up because uh, of famine that has happened and drought that has happened. Fire has devoured the open pastures. And let's begin to read in chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm, my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. So again, here he uses, he uses that term, the day of the Lord, five times in these three chapters. And the day of the Lord mentioned here, uh, below the trumpet, sound the alarm in my holy mountain, referring to Mount Zion or um, Mount Moriah, uh, which is a term for Jerusalem. In chapter one, the prophet spoke of the judgment coming to Judah. <clears throat> now he's speaking of a judgment that will come in the future. It will be in a time, where, verse 1, that the inhabitants of the land will tremble. So sound the alarm. An invading army is coming, and the army is great, and it's going to come against the land. Now here in verse 1, the trumpet in Zion. Uh, in Numbers chapter 10, in uh, the wilderness, that Moses was told to make two silver trumpets. And they would blow that trumpet uh, for different messages. And you can go through the first 10 verses of Numbers chapter 10. They would blow the trumpet to, to, the trumpet to assemble the congregation together. They would blow the trumpet in a certain way uh, to assemble the leaders there um, of the congregation. They would blow the trumpet when there is danger, when they assembled for war. Here is interesting is they're blowing the trumpet here in verse 1. This is speaking of a ram's horn. Um, this is speaking of the shofar that they're blowing, and it would be the uh, shofar that was blown. It was blown by the priests. So the religious leaders here are blowing the trumpet here, that shofar, sounding the alarm is what they are doing. And you and I, as we are ones that are servants of the Lord, as we are priests in our homes, as leaders in the church, uh, we are to blow the trumpet. We are to sound the alarm of the things that are taking place 
even around us, we're to sound the alarm and say, hey, that the day of the Lord is at hand. And I really believe that it is. And it's not to scare people. It's to prepare people uh, that we have a message to give. And it causes us to be in prayer. It causes us to really turn to the Lord. Um, if there's any sin in our lives, any carnality, it, it calls us to repent and turn to him and call out to him. We are in dire days. This week, uh, this weekend, we are going to be observing the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the attacks on our nation. And it was a devastating time. Those of you who were, you know, uh, there to remember that time, old enough to remember. uh, And uh, it, it was a day that changed our nation. And we have seen events that have happened since then, and particularly lately with COVID and other things that is changing our world. It is a different world than it was 20 years ago. And it's alarming as we see the sorrows, the birth pangs that we've been talking about in Matthew chapter 24 that marked the end of the age, the signs of his coming, that they are happening quickly. And and we know it's going to birth something that is the kingdom of God coming. It's all going to culminate in what is the day of the Lord. So sound the alarm. And we are to tell people the truth of what God's word has to say. And, and we are to sound the alarm when it comes to teaching our kids, when it comes to ministering to others. We have truth to give to them. And that's what they're doing here. Hey, that there's this, this, this trouble that is upon the land. The land trembles. Verse 2, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, like the likes of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. So the, the, the plagues of locusts that chapter 1 was speaking of that came upon the land of Judah, the swarm would be so thick um, that it was like a cloud. It darkened the sky. And here that is what is being talked about in this army that gathers, that it gathers uh, that has never been seen before, uh, how great and strong that they are. And so here is an army, a literal army that is being spoken of because it speaks of a people come great and strong of like of whom has never been or ever will be any such after them. Now that may ring a bell with you because we do know that the Lord would uh, say in the Olivet Discourse to his disciples that when it comes to Uh, the great tribulation period, that it will be trouble such as never seen, tribulation such as never seen, or ever will be seen again. And here it reminds me of, as he says, that here is this this trouble of people coming, uh, the likes of whom have never been, nor ever will be any such them, even after many successive generations. So, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. uh, We can look at that as Daniel talks about that time of the great tribulation. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. And he goes on and he, he writes about that, but we're talking about the, the tribulation period. Now, that term we have spoken about quite extensively, if you've been with us in our study of Matthew, going through the Olivet Discourse, 
or if you've been with us in our study going through the prophetic books here of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, now the book of Joel, that the day of the Lord, you should know, is not just a specific day. It is a period of time. And we know that it is a period of time that begins with the tribulation period, that final seven-year period prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the tribulation period that is spoken of in Revelations chapter 6 through 19, that final week where Israel is thrust to the forefront. And remember, Joel is prophesying to the nation here. He's prophesying to God's people. And we know, as we have discussed, that Israel, again, will be the focal point of end-time prophecy. And we know that, that uh, as the day of the Lord comes, that there's going to culminate into where there's going to be this great battle called the Battle of Armageddon in the last, uh, last uh, part of that seven-year period, the last part of the Great Tribulation. So it's a period of time. It's the seven-year tribulation period. Jesus Christ comes back literally, physically. In the second coming of Jesus Christ, we will come back with him. And then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul, when he would write about the day of the Lord, he would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that you know that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So it really is consistent, the scripture says, that the day of the Lord begins of a time of judgment and destruction where the sky is darkened, there's geologic upheaval, uh, there is, you know, uh, this uh, great trouble and tribulation such as the world has never seen. So Paul, he was writing about that time was as yet future. And in Joel chapter 2, this army, which is described, that will come upon the land just like the locusts came and devoured everything. And Joel will describe the Lord's army that will come to do battle. He is like a mighty warrior, but it's a terrible time to where no one will escape. And then we will see that it will be followed by you know, the Lord ruling and reigning. That is part of the day of the Lord, the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. And he's going to come and establish his kingdom for a thousand years. So beginning with the tribulation period through the millennium reign is that period of time called the day of the Lord. And during this time, there's going to be a call of repentance as this, as this massive army surrounds the holy mountain. And, and the army is described to us and keep in mind that here is Joel. He's trying to describe this army, this modern army, uh, the, this uh, future army in poetic terms like uh, clouds and over the mountains. And let's begin to look at that. Verse 3, a fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. Uh, the land is like the Garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots, verse 5 tells us, over mountaintops they leap like the noise of flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people sit, sat in battle array. So they're going to devour the land like a fire. The land here like a garden even before them. Uh, we know that Israel today, when you go to Israel, is very lush, uh, agricultural, um, you know, success Israel, very fertile ground, vineyards and uh, orchards and wheat fields. 
and lots of crops that are grown, very, very green, trees that have been planted, they got forests, it's very lush, it's very, very beautiful. And this army is going to move swiftly and quickly and be overwhelming. And then in verses 6 through 9, Joel describes what this mighty army is going to do. And then verses 10 and 11 that we're going to read, what the Lord's army is going to do. So it devours. Uh, it comes. The appearance of horses. Again, trying to describe it. A noise like chariots. Uh, mountaintops they leap like the noise of a flaming fire there in verse 5. Let's continue in verse 6. Before them, the people uh, worth in pain. All faces are drained of color. And as we read that, it's better translated, all faces shall gather blackness. Um, and that's what might be in some of your translations. That is, perhaps they may be scorched. We know that there are weapons today, weapons of mass destruction, that will scorch people and, and, and uh, their faces being scorched. Uh, we don't know exactly. Um, weapons that, uh, of mass destruction that can destroy a lot of people, it, it's very sobering what we read in the book of Zechariah when it comes to the day of the Lord. That Let me read it to you in chapter 14 is in Zechariah about the day of the Lord. That it shall be the plagues with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. This is verse 12 of Zechariah chapter 14. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. And their tongue shall dissolve in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great panic from the Lord will be among them. And, and it goes on. Everyone will cease the hand of his neighbor, raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. And so it's going to be a time where it seems to give indication that a great army, great destruction goes before them. You know, here, you know, people's their eyes are going to melt, you know, away. Their tongues are going to dissolve in their mouths. It's a very, very terrible time. And that's one of the things that the Bible consistently is telling us, that the day of the Lord is a dreadful, terrible time, such as the world has never seen. And I know that we live in very difficult days right now, but it is going to get even worse. And I'm not saying this to have a bummer Bible you know, study, but that's the truth of God's word. We're living in a, in a day that we're the restraining factor uh, we're living in a day uh, where, you know, um, that even though there's tribulation, it's not like the great tribulation period that is yet future. And so we continue as we see in verse 7, before them the people worth in pain, as I said, all faces are drained in color. That's verse 6. Verse 7 tells us they run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation and they do not break ranks. So this this, you know, massive army. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column, though they lunge between the weapons. They are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. Now, isn't it interesting that this is an army, this is an army of people but it's almost being described in poetic terms of a locust coming in. And locusts coming in and, and, you know, in the city, on the walls, climbing into houses, entering into the windows. You know, the locusts will get everywhere. It's kind of like in the book of, of Exodus. Uh, when we know that in the book of Exodus, 
uh, chapter 10, the eighth plague, to where they found locusts that covered the land, and the land was darkened, and and all of this, and uh, even the, um, the you know the frogs that came up uh, in the plague earlier in the plagues that Moses brought up. The frogs were all over the house and everything. Well, here the locusts uh, that is in chapter one. This is an army that swarms the land, um, and they climb the wall like men of war, uh, march and found and formation. They don't break ranks. Uh, it is interesting in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27, it says that locusts have no king, yet they go forth in bands. This army coming upon the land, Joel describes the effectiveness of this army like, uh, and the destruction like a swarm of locusts. So what exactly is Joel speaking about? Here's some thoughts here. There have some that have said, well, this is speaking about 70 uh, A.D. when, well, first of all, some have said that this is speaking of what's going to happen about over 200 years from the time Joel's writing this, and that is uh, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, that they'll come in, destroy the city, and that's what they did. Some say, speaking of 70 A.D., the, the Romans coming in and destroying Jerusalem and destroying the second temple. But I don't believe it is because he's speaking of the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord is at hand. Some suspect that maybe perhaps is speaking of Ezekiel 38. Because as he's speaking here of this army that comes into the mountains, that Ezekiel 38 describes a huge army that will come upon Israel in the latter days and this confederation of nations led by Russia and Iran are going to come into the land with a huge army. And it's described to us in that way there in Ezekiel chapter 38. And then chapter 39 speaks of the cleanup of that battle. And again, weapons of mass destruction probably used at that time. So um, some suggest maybe perhaps Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, and as we read, for example, in chapter 38 of Ezekiel, you will descend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops. Some suggest that it's speaking of Revelation chapter 9. Now, Revelation chapter 9 speaks of this demon demonic army that comes out that is, you know, it appearance like a locust. And let me read it to you. In Revelation chapter 9, we're in the tribulation period, and it's the fifth trumpet. And in the fifth angel, this is Revelation 9 verse 1, sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given a key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. The ones who had the seal of God on their foreheads, of course, chapter 7 of Revelation, is the 144,000 that you read about. But we continue reading, and they were not given authority to kill them, but torment them for five months. Their torment was like a torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So this is what, obviously, the, the abyss, the bombless pit, is coming out these demonic creatures 
that come out uh, of the smoke. Locusts came upon the earth. They have uh, scorpions, you know, as scorpions of power, the sting of a scorpion. Men in those days will seek death, will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns, something like gold, and their faces were like faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses running into battle. So you got a description there of their sound and, and all of this. So is it demonic uh, forces coming out, or is it a literal army? The text seems to indicate these are demonic army that is coming out during the day of the Lord. So some suggest it is speaking of that. Or is it the battle of Armageddon? Now, Zechariah speaks about all the nations gathering against Jerusalem, which would, will be a cup of trembling, but God will defend her and go to battle at the end of that period where you know, the, God is pouring out his judgment on a Christ-rejected world. And Zechariah speaks about that in Zechariah chapter 14 as well. So at that time here, I think it, that it's speaking of that time where Jerusalem's going to go under by this, this army that's going to try to destroy Jerusalem. Uh, we see that as we continue reading here, uh, this, how impressive this army is. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, the stars diminish their brightness, the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, who can endure it? So as impressive this army is, listen, God is it greater. There's going to be geologic upheaval, there's going to be cosmic disturbances, as I've already mentioned, Jesus, we're going to see, you know, um, as we saw last Sunday, that, um, that there's going to be tribulations such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And the Lord is calling them to repentance. And just as he did in Joel's day when he saw the locusts destroy and come upon the land, when they see this army that is yet future coming against them, God's judgment, then they should repent, repent and turn to God. But I want to encourage all of us here that are listening today, listening, is there any sin or carnality in your life? God's calling you to repent. Repent now. It shouldn't take a locust infestation. It shouldn't take a, you know, the, the, a, an army coming against us. It, we should see even what the things that are going on around us and understand that it's telling us something. And this world is not where it's at. Don't give your heart to the world. Give your heart to the Lord. And if there's any worldliness, carnality, and sin going on, we need to repent and turn to the Lord. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that has, you know, uh, abundant life for us. He's the one that desires for us to give our hearts to him because he is Lord. And in verse 12, a call to repentance now that we read, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Will you remember that? Verse 13. He is gracious, he is merciful, he is slow to anger and of great kindness and relents from doing harm. God doesn't want to do harm to us. Don't just tear your clothes for an outward show, but rend your heart. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He has been so gracious 
and so merciful to us, hasn't he? He's, he's been kind and slow to anger. He loves us. And he's saying, come home, come to me, turn away from the world. This is going to cause you to be in bondage. It's not your hope. You're, you're going to be in deception. You're going to be in the darkness. It is Paul that wrote that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So why would we listen? Why would we want to reject what God has for us? As he has blessing for us. His forgiveness available for us. Eternal life. For us to be blessed in this life, to be truly fulfilled and satisfied. And it was Jonah that I, I think of him that he knew the mercy and kindness of God. That's why he didn't want to preach in Nineveh. And we're going to be going over Jonah and, and not long from now as we continue with the minor prophets. Because he knew God would forgive them and that they, you know, he wouldn't destroy them. And God would relent from his judgment. And God loves you. And he's merciful and he is kind. And he's saying, come home to me. Turn to me. That's one of the incredible things. Sometimes when we hear that word repent or we talk about a call to repentance, it has a negative connotation for some reason to us. And we think God is angry at us and God's saying, turn to me. And like an angry father, he's crying out to us saying, turn to me. And we can repent anytime, sincerely repent anytime. And today's the day to do it. Don't put it off. Don't say, well, you know, pastor said we can repent anytime. I'll do it next week. No, that's a deception of the enemy. He wants us to repent today. But as we do come to him, that he says, come and you have forgiveness and he desires to receive us. So here, as we continue in verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion. This is the second time. This, the next blowing of the trumpet or the so far was to warn the people of battle. Uh, but now uh, it's of repentance. So blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call it sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. So blow the trumpet. You know, it's a time of fast. It's a time to repent. Uh, the normal joyful activities be put aside, and all the nation must mourn before the Lord. And notice that in verse 16, everyone is invited to that. Everyone. Gather the people, the congregation, the elders, children, nursing babes. Everyone is invited to come. And the leaders were to take the lead in this in repentance. And that means that, that you, as you lead in your home, listen, parents, that your children, your grandchildren need to see that you're a godly man, a godly woman. That, that in the church, that the people need to see that we as leaders, that we are following after him. They're not going to see perfection. But we have a desire to follow after him, look to him, and, and to trust him, to be living for him. And as I read this, he says in verse 17, let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. And we should, as we've discussed, that what we're seeing, a world and people around us that are getting further away from the Lord, it should cause us to weep. And what's happening to our nation, what's happening to our nation very much concerns us, doesn't it? They're becoming less godly and, and more hostile towards Christianity and the Bible and the things of the Lord. It should cause us to be in prayer. It should cause us to weep 
And let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? So there are people that will say that today, where is your God? And the nations should rule over them. And and, uh, the nations of the world is not our hope. It's the Lord that is our hope. And I pray that we would always remember that. God will eventually protect his people as we continue reading here and, and and, um, you know, come to his people, hear the cries of his people. And we're going to read about that as we continue on. But we're going to stop here today as the land is going to be refreshed and there's going to be a restoring and God judging the nations as we finish this little book. But it causes us tonight to realize this, that if the Lord's calling you to repent from something, maybe he's been speaking to you, about a sin. Maybe he's been speaking to you about um, carnality and attitude, maybe uh, activity where you're hanging out, what you are looking at, pulling up things on, you know, your, your computer or mobile device or whatever, that you need to repent. And the Lord's calling you to because he loves you. And he knows that those things are only going to bring destruction to you and depression and defeat. And the Lord wants you to live a life where you have victory. Victory in living for the Lord. Fulfillment and satisfaction. He loves you. Repent. It's a wonderful, wonderful word. Change direction. Give your heart to the Lord. And any time that we do that, he receives us. But to do it sincerely. Not just outward action. Oh, I'm just going to go through the motions. But inwardly, brokenhearted, a contrite heart, a, a broken spirit, uh, you know, broken and contrite heart is what the psalmist writes about David is that's what pleases the Lord, not just sacrifices, not just religious activity. Well, I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll be okay for the rest of the week. No, it is every day giving our hearts to the Lord and desiring to live for him because the Lord is what? Remember that he is gracious and he is merciful and he desires the very best for us. And he desires to leave a blessing for us as we turn to him. A grain offering and drink offering for the Lord your God. You know, it, it speaks of fellowship. It, it speaks of closeness with him. And that's what he desires more than anything. And he desires to bless us in that way. There is a time coming. Listen, this world is not where it's at. If there's one thing that we are understanding going through the Olivet Discourse and going through Joel's you know, prophecies here at this time, is this world is not where it's at. So why would you want to put your trust in a world that's going to end up going through great tribulation? That if the days were not cut short, that man would have destroyed himself. You know, why would we put our trust in that when we can put our trust in the Lord and put our trust and belong to a kingdom and be blessed because that kingdom will be established forever? We have such a wonderful future. So give our allegiance and our trust in our hearts completely to the Lord who is so good and know that not only does he give us life, but life abundantly. That's what it means, life abundantly. You know, I was hearing one faith teacher the other day that um, he isn't around anymore, but how he was exposed, it, it was this uh, clip that, you know, we're saying that that's what it means, you know, life abundantly is... God wants you to be wealthy and have all this money. No, he wants you to have the spiritual blessings that are ours, forgiveness, 
we've been redeemed. Uh, we have a God, you know, inheritance from heaven. We have been chosen. You know, all the spiritual blessings that are ours and peace and joy. Who doesn't want that? Why do we want to live in a world that ends up just leaving you empty and defeated? And going after the things of Satan. Satan is the god of this world, little g. And he will deceive you. So live for the Lord. If there's anything going on in your life, turn away from that. Turn to Jesus. Turn to him who loves you so much. So, Father, we thank you for this time in your word and these reminders. We know there's a time coming the day of the Lord. But, Lord, I pray that right now that as there's a call to repentance here, that if there needs to be in our own lives, maybe you've been speaking to someone here, somebody who's watching tonight about attitudes or something that you're watching or something that you're involved in, that you're not being the leader in your home, that God has called you to be. And so repent, turn to him. Turn to Jesus. He's merciful and he's gracious. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. We can come with a, a, a broken heart and contrite spirit. And, Lord, that's what pleases you. And, Lord, we thank you for the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. That we can come and, Lord, as we come in faith, then belong into a kingdom that will last forever. And I pray that we would give that message of the gospel to others knowing that this world is not our hope. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless everyone here. As, Lord, we read these things, they're heavy, but we don't have to be afraid because you're going to come for us and you're going to take us out of the hour of trial that will come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. And even as Paul wrote in the first chapter of, of the first Thessalonians, the way for his son in heaven, for we are not appointed to wrath, the wrath to come, but to obtain salvation. So, Lord, I pray that we would live for you now and that we would live every day in a way where we just are looking to your goodness and your truth to walk in a way pleasing to you. I thank you for this time that we've had together. I pray you bless everyone here. And, Lord, we do pray for our nation. As we observe the, the 20th anniversary this weekend of, of 9-11, Lord, we pray for our nation that at one time, for a short time, we came and we prayed, but then, Lord, we've kind of gone our own way as a nation. We've gotten further away from you, but, Lord, we need to come back to you because we are still facing even more upheaval, more challenges. We see the fires around us, the floods that are happening this last week. More people killed in the floods in the Northeast than the hurricane a Category 4 in Louisiana. They're still suffering down there with no gas, no air conditioning. No power, Lord. We see the fires in the West. We see economic upheaval. The COVID still ravaging people, still ravaging our land. We need you, Lord. And I pray there would be a spiritual awakening that there would start with us and our families and with the church, Lord, to turn to you and call out to you, to mourn and to fast, to weep what's going on. And, Lord, to call out upon you for you to be merciful and gracious. So, Lord, I pray that you would just bring us as a nation back to you in a spiritual awakening, Lord. Pour out your spirit on us 
And, Lord, that our land may be healed to turn to you. May we stand firm on the gospel and the truth of your word and proclaim it. And may there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, bless everyone here as we finish our week and into the weekend. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. And have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week.